Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the Paraconnection Podcast. We are now on the third and final episode of the Cielo Drive miniseries. David talks with us about what he does to help reform and heal the land and the spirits of Cielo Drive. David also highlights the importance of his experiences and where it all may lead. So, let's once again jump back in and learn about the revelation of Cielo Drive. And finally, after all the different shows, my ghost story, paranormal witness, haunted history, ghost adventures, and by the time it was ghost adventures, the fifth show I was on, I said, fine, let's let the cat out of the bag. Biggest god-awful mistake I've ever done in my life to believe this, that, that somehow that was going to do me some, some benefit to have Zach Baggins know that my house, is, you know, that this is, that there's a Native American that's interred in the earth. Because we ran with it. If you watch the episode, he says, this is David's house. Right after we go in there, I tell him about the Native American. He turns around and spins it into David's house is built on Native American ceremonial burial grounds. And that's a big no-no. Like, what the hell did he say? He said that my house is built on Native American ceremonial burial? What a crock of crap is that? I, this, I should have known when he first came here because the show shoots in four parts. They shoot the interview with me the first day. They do the B-roll. No, they did the interviews with other people the second day. The third day, they do the B-roll and the reenactment footage. And on the fourth, they do the investigation. So Zach is not there and Aaron and Nick are not there. Oh, really? Days. Oh, yeah. It's, it's done in that type of a way because they want to maintain the code, the... I, at least then, they wanted to maintain the code of, of, of an appearance of integrity of making this, you know, type of thing. So, Zach, this is the first time Zach's here. So, when I meet Zach, I said, it's nice to meet you. I, I'd seen a few of the episodes. I really wasn't big into watching the shows just because I had the feeling that it was just a lot of, you know, some, some yeah, too much drama. And I said to him, I said, so Zach, man, I said, look, I know you, as, as a film producer and working on television shows most of my life, as a kid and a young adult, I knew that there's a set schedule. You get to set on time and everything from this, from this time you get there to the time we finish is all pretty much, pretty much laid out with what we have to do. We have a schedule. We have to stay on the schedule because we have to do this. I used Lisa Williams as an example because she knew the, the dynamics of coming, of, of that parameters by which I said you could come to visit the house. Her curiosity was, was apparent. Her integrity was clear. Her honesty was, was, was broad, was put, put forth to all to see because it's not done for a TV show. It's not for a podcast. It's for her own enlightenment and curiosity to be satisfied and quenched. She wants to know. The exact opposite mm-hmm. was true about Zach. When I said, you know, whatever you're going to do, I know you've got to shoot this and this and this and this, but, you know, you're, you're not going to have lots of time to interact with me and get the, 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 the gist of what he couldn't care less. And that's why I said, you know, son, he's an actor. He's not real. I don't, he's a performer. People want, oh, he's this is like, you know, I use this example. If you're, if you're a genealogist and the, the New York Museum of Natural History called and said, we have 
a private viewing for a select few people of the Hope Diamond, where you will be able to physically touch the world's largest diamond and touch it and, and examine it and have a one-on-one -on -one interaction with that object and get to really, really give it some interest and introspective, in, you know, tests and go. You, you'd say any gemologist worth his salt would be there in a heartbeat and yeah. take it upon themselves to take that opportunity to do it. Lisa Williams was the truth. Zach wasn't. Chris Fleming was the truth, where Zach wasn't. Um, Marianne Winkowski was the truth. I mean, James Montprod was, was, was a little bit better than, you know, was a little less, but, you know, he was more curious. So I started to realize that a lot of the people that you see on the shows are, now for, for whatever, however you can say it, are playing a part, but it's not the truth of who they are. Their performance is that for an audience, not for their own curiosity. And I said, you know something, that's who the hell this guy is. So when the episode aired and I watched it with my 25 friends who were here, and we all were like, I was aghast when he says, you know, the house is built on ceremonial Native American burial grounds. I was like, that's not what I said. So I said, I went at the end of the episode, let's rewind and watch that one little thing. And it's like, no, I said, one Native American died and his interred on the earth, that be it. He ran with it. And I said, you know, that's what you gotta be careful of is people that have the authenticity of a $3 bill or a wooden nickel, as they used to say. <laughs> it's not true. And that's why I said when I watched these shows, having been on the six here, the six US shows, the two in the UK, and watched what they created, I said there's a lot of late, it's laden with a lot of drama and a lot of fear and a lot of religiosity and a lot of things that I just don't and have never experienced. But in their minds, because what they're told they have to perform and put forward, that's what they're creating. So that's the story of, you know, why it is I, you know, have a little bit uh, resentment. Well, that's not the reason why I have resentment towards him. He went off and wrote in his book, I Am Haunted, three and a half pages about me being the cause and effect of what is going on here in the house. Not the house. He tried to take the power from the house and then say, no, it's David's that's possessed. And that's when it's like, really, Zach? Oh my God. I'm outside the house and all this gumbo is happening to you inside the house. You're laying it at my feet. They had done that reenactment with the bloody Sharon Tate apparition walking down the street, covered in blood, with holding her pregnancy. I was here taking photographs and I took a series of photos with my digital camera and in the middle of one of the uh, images, there's this ball of light protruding out of the girl's stomach. And I'm like, I'm shaking my going, wait a second. That camera is the same position where the cameras are that are shooting her. And there are lights in front of her, shooting, you know, illuminating her. There are no lights behind her because if there's a light behind her and she moves, that light's going to pour right through the gosh darn lens and basically screw up the image. So I'm like, going, and she's wearing a nylon or a, a polyester type of a white nightie that's all covered in blood. I said, there's nothing that could reflect 
off like a silver dial or a platter here that the light's bouncing off of because it wouldn't work for the shot. So I'm like, I'm looking, scrolling through all the pictures and I don't see any more that are like that. I'm going, oh, wow, that's nuts. And then I, as I'm taking the pictures, I started feeling this terribly chilled, cold vibe, like we're going to, and I'm hearing the voices, no, they didn't. We are going to crucify them. We are going to completely eviscerate them. How dare they perpetrate this, this despicable, disparaging incarnation of Sharon, which A, didn't happen. Yeah. And, and the directors and the producers said, well, this is our reenactments. They said, what? what? He goes, well, this girl, Dre Ford, and we were interviewing, and I said, Dre Ford, I said, oh, yeah. I said, God, I said, that's funny. I said, I have not heard from that girl in about three or four months since she reached out to me six months earlier to say she wanted to come up to the house, that she had been here with some other people that had gone and, and investigated the house, and she wanted to come up. And then she basically just dropped off the face of the earth. I didn't hear a word from her. So when he says that, I said, that's funny because I said, she's, she, when I were in contact and I lost track of her. And he says, well, her story is this. She's driving up the driveway with her mom to show her mom where Sharon Tate's house was. And as she's driving up the entrance into the driveway, she's accosted by this apparition of Sharon Tate pregnant, covered in blood, in a white nightgown, clutching her pregnancy. And I'm like, what? I said, not on your freaking life. I said, no way, no how. I said, that's what you're going to go with is your reenactment? I said, I'm telling you here and now, that is a lie, a dramatic-filled BS story. I don't buy it. I said, it doesn't hold true to what, what I saw with Jay Sebring. It doesn't hold true to why she would appear to this woman who's just some some individual who has no connection to Sharon, who's blue line is that she's saying this happened. I'm saying no. And they said, well, we're going to do it because it's great dramatic. So I said, I don't give a f You do what you want to do. But I'm telling you, it's a lie. They didn't care. Yeah. They did. And I said, I said, okay, so when I'm shooting these the, the footage and I keep hearing, it's like, we're going to get back at them. And I'm like, well, it's not like I didn't forewarn them that they were treading on thin ice. But I said, you know, so the next night when they started, I said, I got to go to the top of the stairs. And I didn't do this for camera. I did this just because it's as, as the homeowner and as, as, as somebody that's, that's uh, compassionate towards people, I don't want anybody to get hurt. Yeah. It's this, it's no game for me that these people would be tormented and, and molested the way they were. So I said, basically call the spirits out collectively in the house and said, leave them alone. Leave them all alone. Don't mess with them. Please don't mess with them. And unfortunately, the, the, the director comes around and goes, what the hell was that? I said, um, I said, I, I tried to compliment, to reach out to the spirits here in the house and request and demand that they leave you alone and not harm you and your crew. I said, because as far as I'm feeling and what I'm getting is this, you guys are gonna get your asses kicked inside out and they wanna kill you. So then he says to me, he goes, well, I want you to go back to the top of the stairs and do it for camera now. I goes, but I want a PNG rated version versus that R rated version you just gave me. <laughs> I, said, I said, what? I said, you want me to go back us? We want to shoot you with a camera, do exactly what you did, but we want you to clean up the language. And I said, okay. I said, sure, show. 
And I said, I'm a servant unto you. You're renting my house. This is part of the story fund. I'll do it. So I go back to the top of the stairs and he goes, you know, he basically told me how he wanted it, the flow of it. Yeah. And I basically went back to the top of the stairs and I said, spirits. And in a sense, it was like, he wants me to reprimand him. So in so doing, I reprimanded, and that's what Zach later wrote in the book is he talks to the spirits like an adult speaks to a to a to a misbehaving child. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, you know something, Baggins? You still ended up getting your ass twisted and turned inside out by what took place, but you have the, the audacity to sit there and to make it like I'm some kind of an a-hole, and the way I treat the spirits is totally disrespectful, yet it was for your benefit to protect your pathetic little sorry ass. <laughs> so I basically said, fine. So I did the thing, and they started, they started, and then all of a sudden the cameras dropped. They said, what's wrong? He goes, we have to start over. He goes, what's wrong? He goes, all the equipment's failing. I said, wait a minute. He goes, <laughs> he goes the batteries are dead. So they went to get the, ba the backup batteries out of the uh, van. Yeah. All of them were dead. They said, okay, we have to reset. I said, what does that mean? He goes, we have to start, we have to set everything up and we have to, we'll have to start in an hour. We have to recharge all the equipment. It has to be all reset. And I'm like, and so it begins. <laughs> and that's what I said, and he goes, so what begins? They said, nothing. Because I already knew that whatever veracity and integrity to where I position, the point of view where I was coming from to them was falling upon deaf ears. So to talk to them like I'm talking to a co-equal on, on the same level playing, playing field was a waste of time and thought. And I basically said, you know something, why waste my breath? These people don't give a rat's butt about it. They don't care. The idea that I'm gonna try to be their friend and help them is without any need because they don't care. And why be more than a gentleman when you've already been turned, shown the door in so many ways? There's no point in trying to bring this about. The mutual connection. So I said, okay. And I thought to myself, oh, we're in for some freaking storm tonight, I said. And um, they started at 10 o'clock. I think it's about 11.45, 11.30, 11.45. I hear footsteps and out comes Zach and Zach falls on the floor right in front of the house on the pavement in the, uh, on, right, like two steps from the entrance, from the, from the steps. And he falls down and he's just, there's no canvas. He falls down and he's on the ground. And he's like this going, Oh man, I, I run up to him because I'm just con concerned and con as hell about somebody in my house. I'm like, what's the matter? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I just feel sick. My head, oh my God, my head, my eyes, I just, and my stomach, I just feel so sick. And I don't, oh my God. I, and then, and then of course, the pretty executive producer, Zach, you okay? Are you okay? None of this on camera. Yeah. And I'm like, uh huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so then he gets composed and he's back and then he tells the famous scene of, Nick, Nick, go downstairs. I want you to go downstairs. Something's attached to you, blah, 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 blah. So they send Nick downstairs. Nick goes downstairs 10 minutes later. And I remember seeing Zach, Aaron, and Jay Wesley in the back of the van, watching the monitors you see on the show. And I'm outside the van the, the, the van door is open, so I'm outside and I'm watching them, listening to him have his problems go on down third level. And I, I, I start hearing Nick start saying, guys, 
guys, somebody come the hell down here and get me out of here. He goes, uh-uh, I can't, there's something, I know my God, there's a, there's something, there's a glowing, there's a glowing apparition in the other room. I, I don't understand. And he's having this huge meltdown. The three of them, the three, the three stooges in the backseat are cracking up and laughing. Wow. And I'm like, really? Oh yeah. And it's not on camera. And I'm like going, what the, f I said, what the, f I said, what are you doing? I said, are you kidding me? I said, this is what your, your source of, this is some sort of, some sort of entertainment to you? Is that your friend, quote unquote friend, is down on the third level of my house having a nervous breakdown. Whether or not he's experiencing crap is not important because in his mind, whether it's actual or perceived and created in his in the images in his mind, doesn't matter. To him, it's very real, it's very threatening, and it's very unsettling, and it's making him melt down. And I can hear Nick crying for, for help. Get me the out of here. And that this is you don't see the whole thing play out. And I'm listening to this, and I'm like hearing this guy cry, and it's for murder, for, for help, and he's just terrified. And I said, and I said, listen here, you. I said, if you don't get your damn ass down there and bail him out, I will tear the freaking contract up, and hell be damned, I'm going to go down there because I'm not letting somebody have that kind of an experience in my house. I said, you do not have the right to torment and torture somebody. I said, it's not for you to pull that shit for your show or otherwise. They said, not on my watch, I'm not gonna do that. And I was as, I was as terse as I'm saying to it now. I, like, I said, if you don't go down there, I said, I will barge through that door and go there and pull them up myself. Yeah. I said, this is enough. I've had about enough of your freaking bullshit yeah. and, your, and your behavior and your humor and your freaking little, ah, 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 how funny is this? I said, I've had it. I'm just done with you. I don't want to associate with you because that's the kind of a person that is untrustworthy, unsavory, and inconsiderate. And I said, you know something? I don't care. I said, I don't have to deal with him after. So then they get him upstairs and they then went, they went to do, do their thing. And all of a sudden at one o'clock, I'm upstairs in the front of the house and I heard this footstep, marching footsteps. Of marching, coming up, to, coming up the stairs, and then walking across the floor in the living room and coming out the front door, and I'm like, okay, whatever. So I said, they're coming out to take a breather, and I look at my watch, and it says one o'clock. I said, what's wrong? He goes, we're done. I said, I started laughing. I was like chuckling, going, what do you mean you're done? I said, it's one o'clock in the morning. I said, you guys have another three hours of investigating to do. <laughs> six-hour lockdown because I felt like okay now it's my turn to turn the screws back on them and I goes no we're done and I was like what do you mean you're done well we have enough evidence we're fine we're, we've got plenty of evidence we're <laughs> out of here three hours huh you managed three hours here wow that's something special <laughs> they left I spent the next three hours in the house cleaning up putting things back to normal and guiled by their stories on their show and it was like good then I saw the episode and was like, then they wanted me to come back a year and a half later to Vegas to do the show, to the Aftershocks. And that turned into its own little cluster screw because they said, no, we need you to come up. I said, I can come up there, but I ain't spending the night in Vegas. I said, unless you want to pay for a, for a pet sitter to stay here for the, the time that I'm in Vegas, to feed the cats, to take the dogs out and to feed the dogs and to feed the fish. I said, fine. I said, but realistically speaking, why the 
do I have to be in Vegas overnight when it's going to be two hours maybe that I'm going to be coming in this Tuesday and I have to leave Wednesday and you know why? He gets a kick, uh, a kickback. He gets, he's got it's part of the, the, the promotional deal that he worked out. This, you know, with this uh, hotel. And I said, look, guys, do you want me to do the show? Let's just cut the freaking crap. I can fly up in the morning at nine o'clock, catch a ten o'clock flight. What time do you mean there? Two o'clock, and then I'll fly back night night. So there's no freaking point in having me stay the night. You don't want me to. I don't really want me to. And you're not going to pay for this. Let's let's not. So finally, we fin they finally got to that point of saying, he's not going to do what we want. So it's like, no, I'm a freaking producer. I've got better things to do than <laughs> hours. I mean, a night in Vegas and by myself yet. Oh, yes, I've got friends in Vegas, but I'm not going to say, hey, come on, let's go out tonight. I'm in Vegas. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, I have no time and interest in doing it. I'll go to Vegas when I want to go to Vegas with a friend or something, but I'm not going to go there for that. And to try to make this a fun time to do it's like this is a this isn't work. And I'm not going to be trying to force myself to gamble while I'm there and do this and that under your auspices. So we shot that show and then the book I'm Haunted comes out and I read it. And it's three and a half pages about me being possessed and the houses and the Native American and all this and this. And then I watched Aftershocks. It was an, it was it was the it was the continuation of the book. It was an assault on my character. It was a hatchet job on me. It was shoot the B-roll of David half in the light and half in the darkness so that he's half in shadow and half in light and have him give one of those really intense oh scares. I said, I'm, I'm yours for this, for the B-roll. So if you need that, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll, I'll perform as you want me to do because you are hiring me to do what you want me to do for the show. So you need that shot to cut away from, fine. How was I to know that that was going to be later used as the cutaway shot to say David's really possessed? And oh, that's, you know, and they cut to that. And I looked at it and I said, it's a hatchet job. It's a total assault in my character. And this all came about because Zach couldn't stand the fact that I started doing investigations, I started opening the house up to investigations and having people come here to, for themselves to investigate. And I was playing as a come to the place to investigate that Zach Baggins managed to last three hours in. And he had this pissy pants about it. He goes, you're insulting me. You're decrying. I said, no, it's the truth, man. The place blew your mind. You couldn't deal with it. It's okay. Nothing to be ashamed of. Admit it. And that's where it basically went off the rails. And it still is. I still can't stand him. He still hates my guts. He still will never return to the house. Nick came here three or four years ago now to do the, um, it's four years ago, as a matter of fact, because they shot it on February 29th, 2016. The, the promotional footage for the show, dot, 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 Paranormal Lockdown with Katrina Weidman. And I said, Nick, I said, you know, I said, Nick, I got I got it. have to gosh darn, you know, get this interview. I said, it's the first time you've come back here since the incident three years earlier. I said, I've got to get this on camera. So I hired a fully professional team, got all this camera equipment, and we shot his interviews here at the house of what he was going on and experiencing. And after it's all said and done, when I asked um, the people at whatchamacallit to uh, give us the release from Nick, Destination America, they said no. 
Wow. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, he's not going to sign the release because he's under contract for our TV show and our network. I said, what's the difference? Well, we don't know where you're, where you're, where this document, where this footage is going to end up. I said, what network? I said, who gives a crap what network? You should be god awful hopeful that it doesn't end up on the same network he's already on. Because if it does, it serves as perfect opportunity to be able to cross pollinate a whole nother viewing audience about his show on their on another network. You gotta love that. It's opening up eyes to people that might not have ever seen him. And they couldn't get that freaking idea through their thick skulls because they're so protective of how you're gonna represent this. Says, what do you think? I'm gonna down my own my own ship, my own house, and my own credibility by destroying Nick Groff? I said, his story ties into Ghost Adventures to the fact that he's the only one that ever came back here to the house, and this is the first time he's here, and I wanna make sure I document him from point A to point B, all the stuff that happened here. That's something else, David. So I have, I have literally four hours of footage of him and Katrina here at the house, and Katrina's talking about stuff that she's having experience where somebody's pushing her down on, it's like she says, there's two, there's like two hands, one on each shoulder, pushing me down and pushing me down. And I'm going, I've read that from other people. That's what was so ironic. And I didn't tell them. I'm not one that says, here's all the stuff that's going on in the house so I can basically plant the seed of these experiences in their head so they can tell me I'm not about that. I'm about Let's see what they experience. Let's record it. Then we can relate what others have had after they've given us their information. Because there's no sense in telling them the story before they tell us their story. It doesn't work. It really kills me because the experience of Nick here was crazy when he came back. Because I feel it. And she was feeling stuff. The keyboard played on its own when they started talking about Nick's kids. And it was just, it was just, it still to this day kicks my ass because I got to find a way that I can utilize that footage because it's so unique and so interesting about the house and the hauntings. It's just like, wow, we. Everybody's an individual. Most people aren't as self absorbed, as indignatious, as disrespectful as Zach. Um, and, you know, Look, it's the old saying is, when I was a kid, here's an example. When I was five years old, my friend down the street from my parents' house had a little toy poodle. And I used to love going there because I didn't have any dogs or cats. I had, I had like tortoises because I was allergic. But I used to play fetch with this dog. And we, I throw the ball and the, the dog brought it back to me. It was great. And I'm all about this tall at the time, probably about, ooh, about 42, 40 inches, like three and a half feet tall. And I remember I threw the ball, gestured the ball forward, and then I, I kept it behind, put it behind my back. Dog took two steps, turned around, sat down right in front of me and looked me straight in the eye. And I swear to God, as a kid, I heard this voice say, I'm going to teach you a lesson you're never going to forget. Dog jumped up and bit me oh. right here on my right cheek and took, put four big teeth in here, right just like this, and I had this scar. I mean, I had a, I, I was literally wide open. And I was screaming and I was thinking to myself, I said, I, it's, that's my fault. That's all on me, babe. That's all on me. I screwed up royally. I teased you. And to this day, I still put my face in dogs 
faces that I've never met before and have no fear of dogs or of animals because I realized, yes, that could just traumatize me and make me go, oh my God, dog, 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 dog. No, no, no. It's about accepting one's own responsibility in a situation and saying, you know something? I can't blame you. You did the right thing. You taught me a lesson I needed to know right from wrong. I needed to know respect and integrity. Mm-hmm. And I you know something? Don't put this on somebody else and say, it's not me, it's you. It's which which humans do. It's not me, it's all you. It's all you. We always cast the stones at others instead of taking first a look at ourselves and our actions that create the dynamic of the situation and saying, you know something? I have to be honest about it. Nobody likes to do that. But as a kid, when I was five years old, that lesson learned I learned so well. And I said, you know, say that applies to everything. Never put it on somebody else when you are responsible for your own actions and their reaction is due to that which you've put forth to them and how you've done them or treated them. So I said, you know something? That was me. That's all me. I'm I'm wrong. But in the same breath. I like to do the same with others. Saying, look, I know what my part is. Can you be honest enough to admit your part in it? And people don't like to do that. Yeah. They will take as much as they can till you say enough is enough. Slam dunk, stop, there's the wall. Don't cross it. You cross that line, you've gone too far. Yeah. And that's what I said. I don't know. Everybody's an individual. I look at people as as who they are themselves, not the collective of humanity. Because that's just the way I think and perceive and look at things and say, you know, eh, all right, that makes sense. You know, I know what I did. Can you can you admit your part in it? I, 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 as I said to you guys, get the hell out here and visit and check the place out. <laughs> when you can't, look, the airfare is ridiculous because there's a stupid air, airfare war going on. And it's like Southwest is $29 one way from other places to come to LA. It's like they're trying to drum up business because people aren't flying west to California and to Los Angeles as much as they were in previous years. So now they're trying to push these airfare wars. So you might be able to get your guys, if you, if you can, some discounted rates or you know a way to get out here to visit to check the place out. Awesome. I would love to experience something like that because like, I'll feel an essence. That's why I call it like I don't see it physically but like I, i'll be like there's a there's a essence bubble over there and right. like you said it's not scary it's just kind of like it freaks you out for a minute because you're like whoa what's this going on and so it i've i joined the team specifically so that way i could meet more essences <laughs> if you will well, so well that's the same thing i don't see them i only saw one apparition in my entire life and that was jay 15 years ago i'll see them in I- my mind well, yeah, in my mind, it's hard. I don't even. I can't even get a visual on the spirits as much as like, if they wanted, if they want me to know they're there, they have no problem saying, "Hey, we're here." It's like, and I'm not just saying like, like I can hear it. I can physically, acoustically hear them. All right, what do you want? I mean, knocks at the front door. Um, then you open the door, and there's no one there. I've had that happen so many times here at the house, or just sounds of voices that have been recorded. Going, what the. And then I review the footage and going, an example on my YouTube channel, there's a video from last year or a year, two years ago, where I was in my bed at eight in the morning. And I, I just was like in, a, in that in-between state of awake and asleep. And I heard a voice say, I'm here. And I was like, 
All right, I heard that. That was pretty gosh darn clear. And I rolled to my left and I looked to the gosh darn clock. I said, eight o'clock. All right, fine, I'm going back to bed. And I said, well, wake up, because I made I needed to make the mental note of what time I heard the sound. So I could when I woke up, I'd go into the gosh darn office here, flip the cameras on and re-rack re -rack the, the time clock and go back and watch and go, holy crap. And it wasn't once, he said it three times. Wow. And then I said to myself, what did I do right before I went to bed at three in the morning? I said, I said, I, I, I out loud said, Jay, I'm thinking of you, man. I haven't seen you in, a, in like 13 years. You know, it's been a while since you visited. He said, you know, I really would like to see you again. Would you mind coming back to visit? And I mean, I outwardly put that out. I said, I'd really like you to come back to visit. I said, it's been so long, you know? I said, you know, I'm really curious if you can hear me. Then I said, oh my God, five hours later, I hear the voice, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here on the audio. I said, that's gotta be Jay. I wow. said, son of a gun. He didn't manifest as an apparition, but he gave me this, the, the, the notes. Or he gave me the, the sign that, yeah, I heard you, man. I got you, I'm here. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. It's fascinating. It's not like going, Oh, oh, what am I gonna do? Because here's my thing. I've got surreal. Where the hell are you gonna run? You can't go run to the top of the gosh darn Empire State thing. Oh, he can't get me here. I can get an airplane. I'm gonna get 30,000 feet. Oh, he can't get to me here. They go wherever the hell they want, the top of the world, the bottom of the ocean, outer space, wherever they want. There are no boundaries for them. If a ghost is, is sensitive and says, all right, I'm just scaring them, all right, I don't want to deal with this. The ghost says, I'm just going to vacate because this guy is just too full of fear and, and terror. And that's not my, I, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to scare anyone because ghosts aren't here to scare us. They're here to see us, to visit with us, to communicate something with us, to check up on us, but not to harm us, not to try to inflict any undue perceived fear or, or detriment. It's about our perception of what's going on outside of us that creates what we understand and believe and react in that way. That's what I've seen and what I believe. And I, as I said, 17 and almost a half years later here, hi, I don't have any scratches on my body. I don't have any, any things. And, and a lot of people don't want to admit they want the scratches. They want the cuts. They are looking for something so that they can say, I'm different than everybody else. Look at me, I got scarred, I got scratched. The ghost, and then played, I was like, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, I'm the victim. When in reality, based on this experience that we had here with my friend who came to a party and um, we were doing a ghost hunt here and he said, he goes, something scratched my back. And I said, let's look at the footage. He's in the earthen wall room. You see the back of his collar do this on its own, two inches. And then he's like this, and I said, let's look, and we pulled his shirt up. There's just a little, like, like a little red mark. And I said, oh, wow. And then I heard a spirit say, he got what he wanted. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell do you mean by that? He goes, physical proof. And, and, and with an attitude, I said, physical proof, an attitude. He had an attitude when he went in there, they said, that he says, I don't believe you exist. I want physical proof. With this terse little 
you know, aggravated type of a, uh, of a delivery. And I said to him, I said, I just heard two words and a little story. And he said, how do you know that I said that? He said, did you say that before you walked in there with a little snot-ass tone? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I did. I said, you just learned a very valuable lesson. Be careful what you ask for and, more importantly, how you ask for it. Definitely. I said, you show contempt, disregard, disrespect towards the spirits, and you calling them out wasn't to your advantage. I said, because you're physical, and there on your back is the mark that's proof. And there was no, it was in the spot right in that middle of the back area where you could neither reach it from above or below. That was the, and that's, he said, that's what you got. He goes, okay, I got it. I said, yes, yeah. you gotta be respectful. I said, you wanna taunt a spirit, be careful, because they're listening and they don't appreciate being taunted. And on that note, don't forget to go take a look at my book, The Afterlife of Sharon Tate. Here, there you go. You guys are just another one of the many people that I've been very, very pleased and thrilled to hear that you like the book. Because to me, it took me, God, close to 14 years to, from the inception of the book to the completion of the book. And it wasn't that the 14 years was an everyday, it was like, no, I put it down for 10 years. I got frustrated at it, but literally when Quentin Tarantino was up here shooting Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It was like, David, if you're gonna write your book and write your story, you better do it now. Because the interest level in your story will dissipate in years going by. And if you don't do it now and start a year and a half ago to get this put together, you're gonna be a miserable son of a, you know what, saying, you know, I wish I should, I could, I would, I wish, I wish. It's like, no, don't wish, do. Yeah. Think. Just sit there and do. Yeah, the words of Yoda. Don't try. <laughs> do it. Never allow, which is really the translation, is just never allow your fears to prohibit you from seeking your dreams. Because we will all create a fear in us that will stop us from doing what we, what we need to do. Our job is to overcome the fear, that obstacle, that hurdle, either go over it, under or around it, or go through it, but you got to. You have to find the fortitude in yourself and say, you know something? I might be scared, but I'm gonna be worse off if I allow my fears to dictate my my future. And never allow that to be the case. Never let a fear of something tell you, and I'm not talking about something that's wrong, for, sociologically wrong in society, but something that you're afraid of. Conquer your fears, because that's what we're here to do, is to learn to deal with our own fears. Also, I wanna show you one thing that I do have here, from from the lovely Sharon Tate, which is this. This is a note that was in this book that I, was given to me from someone on on um, what was it on eBay who had this book for sale for like five hundred dollars. And I said, I reached out to her, said, why would Sharon Tate sign a book to her sister and say you know her full name? Wow. And she said to me, well, I've got several of these books. I said, what? She said she went into a, bought a storage locker before storage wars, you know, all that stuff. And she goes in the back was a box and she goes, it was a, by, by a foot and a half tall. And she <laughs> said, I opened the book, the box up and there's like seven or eight of these old time 
scholastic, like McGuffey reader books. And she says, they're all signed and inscribed to Patty from Sharon Tate. This and that, I'm like, what? And she says, there's a sequin person there with a matching sequin dress from Bill Blast. And I'm like, yeah? She goes, on the back of it, it was sewn in. It said Sharon Tate, name tag on it. And in the first, it was it was also the Sharon, it had Sharon's thing. And it's like, oh my God. And she goes, so when she sends me the book, she goes, I want you to have this. This, this belongs, should be in your possession more than mine. And I said, okay, so I open the book and there's this note that flutters to the floor in front of me. And I'm like, what the heck? It says something, first I'll show you what it says this way and then I'll read it to you. Wow. Dearest mother, tell Patty that I'm sorry to miss the celebration. I should be back early week. Deborah and I need to talk when I return. She is getting too big for her britches and it's like, we'll call, I am sure, before this arrives, missing home, love, Sharon Tate. Wow. And I is just right now, oh, thank you, Sharon. I was just like, what the hell was that? And I picked it up and said, oh my God. So of course I put it in this, the plastic sleeve to protect it. Yeah. And this is the piece that Lindsay Lohan tried to steal several years ago when she visited what? Really, David? And, and funny irony of ironies, the night that this she tried to steal the note was the same, was, was, the, was for that day, was the day that she was accused of stealing the necklace from the uh, jewelry store in Dennis. Oh, really? So it was like, how the hell? My God, the craziness. Um, what, Sharon? Uh, what picture, Sharon? Shit, what? What picture you talking? Oh, she wants me to share some of the photos from the LA Times photo archives. Okay. This is the, the going into the driveway. That's Stephen Parent's car. Okay. The 18-year-old kid who was killed. They're fingerprinting. Oh. Yeah. Oh man. That's something else, David. Wow. wow. This is his car. Another photo going in to the property. That's the um, not the guest house. That's the storage room above the garage. The guest house is in the back of the property. This, of course, is the coroner's vehicle. I mean, the coroner going in with the stretcher, the, the gurney to take the bodies out. You can see where the officer right here. That's the wall that was inside the gate entering into the property right yeah you know, here's the next picture well that of course is abigail folger and Wojciech frykowski oh wow yeah she was the heiress to the to the folger coffee empire yes and here you can see what i was talking about right there this is that wall right there oh yeah the end, it was a rock wall it's like going back in time with you here david Gotta get back in time. <laughs> <laughs> get it, David. That's one of my favorite movies. Is Back to the Future. But and here's the entrance, and you can see the Porsche, which was Jay's, and the Camaro, which was, of course, Abigail Folgers. This is where my finger right here is. That's where my house is now. Okay. But then that's where what was there it was literally nothing but the hillside, and of course. This is where Sharon's house was. I was wondering where uh, the house was in retrospect to your house, so that helped. Well, here's another, here's a better, here's a good shot of that. You can get a better angle of it. You can see this. Oh, wow. Right here is where my house sits here. This is the house next door to mine. This is two houses down. And at the end of the streets where Sharon's property was. Wow. Okay, okay. 
And so you'll have to forgive me. I yeah. I have never really studied the Sharon Tate murders. Like I've looked at it before we talked. <laughs> and so um, were the Mace, well, Manson, sorry, Manson. <laughs> were they up the hill? Like were they nearby? Um, you mean was Charles there at the time? Well, well, they're, they're, they're commune or whatever. We parked at the bottom of the driveway, walked up this, past these two houses, down here to commit the murders, and then walked back down. But what they did was, first he drove up, crawled up the telephone pole, which was on this side of the street, cut the power lines and telephone lines, then came back down, drove the car down, walked up the driveway, and committed the murders. Oh, my word. And this is where my house is, right here. Yeah. It's only 48 feet wide. We're pretty darn close. I'm trying to see if I can get this. You yeah, can see how close we are at the end of the street. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for showing that. Absolutely. Like I said, if you guys come out and you do, we can always do a show here. By the way, this is a more modern picture of the same exact shot from the same thing. There's the driveway. There's the house under construction. There's the new a new house. But these are the two original houses that we're here. And Sharon's gates are right there at the end oh, wow so this is the driveway that you saw in yeah there we go there's there's a time there's a time stamp so there's this house there's this house there we are there we are and look at the roadway up wow so there's the driveway oh, man so they, yeah. they went they drove up they came down they walked it they walked back up yeah yeah. No, thank you. And this is my property when we bought it, mm-hmm. and this property when we started the construction of it. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Talk about a change. Yeah, quite a bit of a change. And the, the funniest thing is, is I've seen pictures. Here's a wide shot because there's that's your change. Look at that. Wow, David. <laughs> what? Wait, is that the same house? No, the house was torn down in 1994. Okay. Cause I saw pictures of this, and I was like, "Okay, there's that." And I saw the old, ha- like I saw the original house. I was like, "I don't know where these things are on the maps." <laughs> right. Well, this is the end of the drive. This is where Sharon's house was. Okay. This is where I am now, and these are the two original homes that were there. Mm-hmm. And the story was is that Winifred Chapman, the housekeeper, ran to this house and try to notify the police from here but she they wouldn't answer so they she had to come to this house next door to mine to get the police to come oh and to get access because we're so scared to death wow i can't even imagine having to do that that would be awful yeah it was a pretty traumatic experience for winifred and you know it, it was what it was it was a tragedy and a half that to this day as i like to say put the death knell in the uh the era of the innocence of the 60s. See, Shannon was rent, Shannon and, and Jay and, and Roman were renting the house from a guy named Rudy Altabelli. In the guest house, Rudy had the house, what was he called? He was the caretaker. So he was in the guest house, way removed from the house and back in the backyard by the swimming pool. Susan Atkins famously went to that room, to that guest house, Try to you know try to get in, but the door was locked, and for whatever reason, figured there was no one there. So he was on the premises the whole time, hearing the murders, not being able to do a damn thing because the telephone lines had been cut. William Gerritsen, he was considered the prime suspect, except after they figured out that 
he had nothing to do with it. He was just in the guest house. That was what it was. And another thing is the myth that people like Chuck Connors had skewed to this day. You know, Bruce Lee and I were supposed to be at that party that night, and the whole thing would have gone down a lot different if we were there. It's like, well, gee, you know, son, Chuck, if that's the case, if you were supposed to be there, why, why are you and 100,000 other people who claim, they claim that, oh, Miss Tracy, I had to circumstances. I couldn't make it to the party, but it saved my life. The truth of the matter was, is if you do that on a statistical scale, it's impossible. Because what are the odds that a thousand people were going to be somewhere and not one single one of them managed to be there? Yeah. Right. In fact, there wasn't any party. Sharon was eight and a half months pregnant. Her ex-fiance, her, her best friend, her best friend's boyfriend, who was friends with her husband, and her were also only people supposed to be there that night when that happened. So the idea that people want to be associated with a tragedy and say they claim that they were supposed to be there is a clock and a half. Just terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with that amount of people, David, that could have been there, should have been there, I mean, it's just... That is a far fetch that not a single person showed up, or at least tried to call in or check in. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's part of the things that really leave me with a bad taste in my mouth about those individuals and how to this day, when People Magazine who writes the articles and these, oh, this is the story, this, one. and I called people and I gave them shit for it. I said, you guys are got to take that story down because it's a lie. I said, I'm just kidding. Okay, so you guys like pushing fake news stories? Because all you had to do is do a little clear, you know, type of uh, diligence to do the, you know, figure that out to realize that's just not true. Oh yeah, this is a fraud. Tis the way it is. Wow. Just sad. Well, you know, David, on everything that's been touched, I would like to personally thank you for not only being open, but for the respect that you have for the afterlife and obviously the people that's been affected throughout the past 40 years now. 50 now, yeah. 50, you oh, know. It, it's, yeah, you know, it's, oh, it's oh unbelievable. Goodness. But I mean, for you to keep this history fresh and to help people learn and understand and put the truth out there, and like you said, not care what other people think about you, that's what matters. And as people like you and true teams and enthusiasts, I'll say, that really help keep the purity of paranormal investigating and i personally thank you really do well thank you I, I much appreciate that and i think that you're one of the few people that was able to put into words that sentiment that sentiment and that type of respect that you know a lot of people don't get they understand that i'm telling my story and they appreciate it but the the depth that you just went to was absolutely very profound and, and i know that that I can, I can safely say for those of, of them that are no longer alive, that from their perspective, they say thank you. They appreciate it. That your words ring true. They, the sincerity and the, intent, and the intention of what you said really brings a smile to their face. And they really are flattered and they appreciate that expression. And thank you for having me on and allowing me to the freedom to weave the story in a way that today you know really was unique and the, how, how everything came out in a very very nice natural flow and they said they they say thank you of course <laughs> david you are welcome yeah thank you and we thank them as well and hopefully one day we can come out you know I and fly tomorrow <laughs> yeah yeah meet you guys and say hi to these guys yeah yeah, yeah. 
yeah, it'd be great to make connections with other people and their stories, you know, David. And, you know, hopefully we can move forward with bringing you back on. Well, new, new stories or old stories, we welcome them all. And I can, I'd be more than happy to introduce you to some interesting personalities like Bridget Marquardt and uh, Patty Negri and these other characters that I like to call friends and associates. So, you know, it's it, and they love it because let's like, say, oh, that's good. I'd love to be on that pad. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, right? Well, right on, David. We appreciate that. That'd be lovely. Absolutely. You guys take care of yourselves. Try to stay warm. Throw a few logs in the fireplace if you have one. And, and make sure, you know, come out and see me because this place is going to be craziness in the summer with all this stuff, especially after what happens on Sunday night with uh, with the Academy Awards and how, that, how those dice roll for Quentin and his movie. Because if that takes off and goes big, there'll be a lot more interest in Sharon's murders and the story than before. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that makes Definitely. sense. Domino effect. Yeah, pretty much. David, I was just about to ask you, if you don't mind, go ahead and plug in some areas where people can reach out to you or check more into you that don't know about you. Well, you can go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash David Omen. Um, there's got to be about 150 videos I've got up there. I think about 10 of them are funny ones, just, just goofy ones, but for the most part, they're all evidence. There's, I don't... And unlike Omar Gosh and a lot of these other people, their their YouTube channels, I don't go into the whole thing of the pre here. I'm going to introduce the video. I just would throw the video up with a few lines of description about it, and then just roll right into the evidence. I'm not trying to become a paranormal personality of an investigative type because that's just not who I am. I'm just some crazy character that lives in a haunted house. Where's <laughs> my experiences and I can't help who I am. I gotta be me. But sharing my experiences with others and trying to educate the the public that hey, it, it, it's all over. It goes through everywhere, and they are not they're something to be afraid of. They're not demonic. They're not um, bad. They are what we all will end up being for the most part, a spirit. Because in years from now, when we're all dead we might end up being in their shoes. And I say, how would we want to be treated when you're dead as a ghost? Do you want to be crapped upon? Do you want to be derided as a gosh darn entity of malice of a malevolent type that you're being misconstrued? I said, that's not fair. And I'm more about the reality and the truth of the story of, of spirits and honoring them, trying to bridge the gap between the fear-based mongering of people like Zach and those that are trying to create this, this perception of it's all dangerous and it's all, and, and, and wash away that and say, this is the truth. But um, that's really it. Again, youtube.com forward slash David O-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter as the underscore Omen, O-M-A-N, number one. Ghosts of Cielo Drive. Uh, what is it? Ghost of CLODR on Twitter as well. On um, Instagram, it's The Omen House. I've yet to join TikTok, but soon, I guess, I'll catch up to that. <laughs> uh, and if anybody's interested in my book, which is, this is the book, Ghost of Cielo Drive. There we go. Ghosts of Cielo Drive. You can get this at ghostsofcielodrive.com. It is not available on Amazon yet. 
I'm still working on that and trying to figure out how that makes sense. Because no, seriously, I'm not. I'm not an idiot that I need to be on Amazon. No, I don't need to be on Amazon. And what I'm doing is making more money for Amazon and getting a penny and a half for my book that I'm self-published. Yeah. So, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure tonight, today and tonight. <laughs> Same here, David. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Maybe a half an hour so I can go get myself ready to have a bite to eat and then go back on to do my one-hour podcast on live paranormal. <laughs> <laughs> go energize, David, and kick yeah, some definitely. ass, man. My pleasure, guys. You guys have a good night. I'm out of here. All right. You too, David. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Wow. What a great episode to end the miniseries with. Seriously. David... We'd like to thank you, sir, for coming on. It was a wonderful time. Absolutely great. And we hope everyone listening has enjoyed the stories of Cielo Drive and has learned a lot. And for any of you that wish to learn more, be sure to follow David Omen and the Omen House by simply typing in the Omen House in Google. You'll be able to find all the outlets that David shared with us earlier and more including his book, The Ghosts of Cielo Drive. And of course, if you would like to follow or contact us, just like with David, simply go to Google, type in P-I-O-T Paranormal, and you will be able to find all of the outlets that we are connected to from there. Well, as always, we cannot thank our listeners enough for taking the time to tune in once again. And we truly hope you have enjoyed this episode, this mini-series, just as much as we have. And with that being said, we hope you all will tune in next time. And until that time, stay frosty.